This morning, um, we're going to basically finish this little mini-series in Ephesians. We're not going to go any further, but we're just going to kind of recap what we have been doing in, in Ephesians 4. So we're not going to read any scriptures because the past two Sundays we have read all of Ephesians 4. Um, but we are going to look at s- certain things and themes in um, Ephesians 4. Um, this is good because... Next week is going to be December and the start of our Christmas services. And this is kind of us, um, one last time, talking about um, how we can, be, we can be mindful of what our body is supposed to look like. A healthy church that, that likes to be around each other, that likes to talk with one another about the gospel and about Jesus and about the kingdom of God. That's the characteristic that, that, that Paul and a lot of the authors in the Bible, inspired by the Holy Spirit, would put pen to paper and say, hey, don't forget what it's all about. It's not about anything but, but Jesus, and he has come to deliver good news, and that is that the kingdom of God is here. And that what, that's what the good news is about, and that's what we should continually be reminding each other about. That it's easy to get and separate and go here or there, but we need to always be reminded. It's the, the, the gospel and the kingdom of God is the only thing that can be repeated over and over and over again, and you can't get sick of it. It's always fresh and it's always new. It's always, it's always this good news that's always brand new about how we're new creatures in Christ Jesus conspiracy theories and little rabbit rabbit trails and different things like that and and debates about genealogies what Paul told Timothy don't stay away from those people stay away from all those people who try to bring out all of these these hidden secret things in the Bible or in our doctrine that those aren't the focus and those will actually distract you he said Timothy Tell the people to stay with the core message. Stay with the gospel. That all of that other stuff is just stuff. And, it's not, and, and, it, it, and it might be a little bit fun, but that's all that it is. Our message is the kingdom of God. Our message is the gospel. Our message is what Jesus came to establish. And that's the kingdom that God is, is bringing all things together for Himself and His glory. That, that for those who, he, that who love God, God is orchestrating their lives to come together and be a good thing and bring new life to creation in the kingdom of God. Let's go ahead and pray. Thank you, Father, for this truth. Speak to us this morning. I am asking you to speak to us this morning. I thank you, Father, that we need to be reminded daily. We need to be reminded every moment of your kingdom and your gospel and what Jesus came to reveal to us. In Jesus' name, amen. So this morning we're going to kind of zero in on basically this tension that we see. What is the tension that we see in the gospel? And what is the tension we see kind of in it, um, that it kind of that the book of Ephesians and what it's created, what it was written for, the purpose of its writing. What is the tension that is left? The tension is one through three, like we've talked about the past couple Sundays. Chapters one through three of Ephesians is this grand statement of what happened and what God did 
through his son Jesus Christ, bringing everyone together, creating new creatures in Christ Jesus, ordained for good works for them to walk in. And then, then four through six is the really practical things and practical instructions about what it looks like to be a Christian and what it looks like to not be a Christian. Don't walk like the Gentiles walk in the, the futility of their thoughts, their hearts growing more and more hard, and uh, basically being led by your, your, your flesh and your urges and your surges. And this, this can 100% happen to people sitting in churches today. People's hearts can get hard sitting in churches today. It's kind of like concrete. When you mix that concrete and you mix it up really good, that, that if you continue to lead, just kind of mix it, it won't settle. It won't settle, but the second it starts to settle, all of the sediments and anything that's in that concrete will start to be hard and, and put into place. So we always want to have a soft heart so God can do what He wants in us. Not making up our mind in the futility of our thoughts about what life is and what God is, because God is infinite. And the second we ascribe anything to God, we're automatically taking away part of who he is as being basically infinite. And, we, and he can show us who he is, and that's what we're supposed to be, a people where God, within relationship with God, where God shows us who he is. Not us saying who God is, but him showing his people who he is. And this is done by the Bible, and this is done by talking to each other in songs, hymns, and spiritual songs, never making up our mind and deciding what we know or what we think, but, but basically letting God, whenever we come together, speak to us through each other. Not making up our mind, but just saying, God, here we are, a people coming for you to cultivate, a people for you to be the head of, the unified truth. So, we don't, want, we don't want to have hard hearts, and we certainly don't want to live by all of our urges and surges. We don't want to live and walk around in our, in our, in our um, sensuality, doing whatever our senses tell us to do. And this is easy for anybody to do. When, when someone does something that makes you angry and anger rises up, you have a choice. Am I going to let this anger rise up inside of me and basically take control of my consciousness and have an influence on who I am? Or am I going to, when I get sad about something, am I going to let that, that emotion rise up and take control of who I am as a person and have an influence? Or am I going to willingly accept that that is an emotion and transcend it? One person said that life is suffering. That's th that, and, and it's true. We like to ascribe suffering with things like a loved one dying or, or getting sick, but suffering could just be, I have to wake up early now because I have a son. That, that, it, that's still suffering in some way. And I can either drag myself out of bed and whine and complain about it, or I can say, you know what, this is just the way life is now, and I have to get up. And, I can tr and, and the idea of Christianity is, is now that if I accept that, I can transcend it, and I can rise above it. 
So if someone walks in unforgiveness towards me, that's just someone walking around in the futility of their minds, in the hardness of their hearts. And, and, I, and they don't need to do anything for me. I can just be, and I can transcend that, and I can submit to God, and I can just forgive. And they don't need to do anything to earn my, my forgiveness. They don't need to do anything because God has forgiven me. I forgive them. That's what the gospel does, and that's what we need to realize, and that's one of the things that Jesus talked about a lot as part of the Lord's Prayer. Forgive others because you have been forgiven. You're forgiven. You have experienced forgiven. God swallowed a debt. God swallowed that debt. When I do something wrong to somebody, and they forgive me, what they are saying is, it's okay, I'll, I'll cover the cost, I forgive you. And that's what happens. When someone does something wrong against me, if someone basically drove their car into my metaphorical fence and destroyed it, and I said, okay, it's okay, I forgive you, I'm then saying, I will cover the cost of the fence and you can go free. And that's what God has done for us, and that's who God has called us to be. Not holding grudges, not holding anything against anybody, but being forgiveness, being mercy. This is what he has called his body to be. The first week we looked at this letter of Ephesians, we recognized that Paul is writing to a church or a group of Christians, a congregation, that was in a geographical area that was basically the epicenter in that, in that area for idol worship. And it was evident that there was idols. And Paul said, you know what? We worship one God now, not many gods, and this God loves us. And this is about a relationship, and you don't have to do anything to enter into this family. But when you do enter into this family, through grace and mercy and love, you are compelled to be more, to be more, to be a Christian, to be a follower of Jesus. We have idolatry here too, and, this, and, and we need to recognize that, and we need to rise above it, and we need to transcend it. We don't need to let things control us. We need to recognize idolatry when it's sneaking up so sneakily into our lives. And we need to say, you know what? God is my king, and God is my Lord, and he will decide what to do with this idol I have created. And maybe he will just take it down a couple pegs and maybe he'll wipe it out completely. But you know what's going to happen is you will have a more satisfied life. Last week we talked about how basically the letter of Ephesians 1 through 6 was a letter that was written to these people that would have probably been read in one whole sitting. And we like to separate things now on Sundays into separate little chunks of scripture and it kind of makes it seem like um, there's been some time that has passed in these people's lives, but no, they would have had read the whole thing completely. So we need to look at the, the gospel, the book of Ephesians as a whole. Um, this week, I, I want us to consider something. That this letter was written to these believers, they were believers when Paul wrote this letter to them. Um, who Paul met and spent years with. 
he, on, this was one of his first stops in his missionary journey, and he stopped and he planted a church, and he spent years talking to these people and instructing these people. And then he went away for years, and then he got in prison. Some people say that this letter was written nine years after these people became Christians. What does this tell us? We need to be reminded of the gospel. We need to be reminded of what this is. We need to be reminded of who we are in Christ and what Jesus has done. And now that we are a temple of the Holy Spirit and we have the Holy One on the inside of us leading us and guiding us, we need to be reminded of this frequently. And, 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 and more often than we think we need to be reminded of it, we need to be reminded of it more often. More than we think we think we know we need to know, we need to understand that we, we have just, just, I have my point of view. And that's the only thing that I have. That I have my point of view and it can be influenced by other people. But I have to recognize that I only see what comes through these eyes. And I only see a glimpse, a small, small smidge of the great infinite thing or great infinite that is God. I only see the smallest thing. So what does it say in Ephesians 3 that together with all of the saints, all of them together, this whole entire family that's not just here, but it's multicultural and it's all around the world. That this, this religion is, is started so far away and has, has spread throughout the whole entire world. And together with everybody, our whole family, this is what our tradition, our, our words don't do it justice. Tradition, religion, different things. Christianity is, is a multicultural, humongous family. That is under one king, and that's God. It is a kingdom that Jesus has come to establish that is in the natural world, that is, that is all around the world because it's inside of his believers, it's inside of his followers. The kingdom of God is within the ones who follow Jesus. So it's all around the world, and this is something that we need our small eyes that, that the world and Satan wants to make our vision small. It makes us want to just think about right here in this church. But, he, but, but God wants us, our eyes to be big and our vision, vision to be huge. This kingdom is all around this world. And together with all of his saints and the sons of God, this family that's everywhere that is spread like yeast going into dough and works its way throughout the whole dough. These are our brothers and sisters everywhere. Not just in our country, not just in our city, but everywhere, overseas. There are brothers and sisters that are being persecuted. There are brothers and sisters that are radical in the way that they believe in Jesus Christ. And they're persecuted for that because they have found something that we, have, we take for granted every day. They have found a love that is so deep and so wide and so, so great that it's infinite and you just get lost in it. And it compels you to do radical things like stand up and just say, 
I belong to this kingdom. I belong to this family. I belong to the one, the only God, the true God that is just God. We need to open our eyes wider and see more. So as he is writing these words, it's probably, as Paul is writing these words to the Ephesians, it's probably not, uh, not something new in the sense that he is preaching these truths for the first time. They have probably heard this before. But it is new in the sense that the gospel, when it is told, is always fresh. And it's always good news to everyone. It's good news to me. And it's still good news to me. From the first day that I heard it, it is still just as good. The gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, which is God through Jesus has provided a way for everything to be brought back in line with its purpose, which is the way God intended it to be. Jesus is our Christ. He is the Messiah, and He is the one who came and established this kingdom. And that's what the Messiah means. That's what Christ means. Jesus is the visible image of the invisible God that came to establish and begin the kingdom of God. Jesus has come and made evident the kingdom. Now that the kingdom is established, those who find faith in the gospel are a part of that kingdom. They are by faith saying, I see something that is more than what the system of the world is telling me. I see something that is more, that is more evident, that is more real than I could ever imagine. That there is, there, there is something more that is established, and that's God's kingdom and His unshakable truth. And it's more than the systems that are in place right now in the world. And God has put them in place, but they are temporal. And they're going to be gone one day. When Jesus Christ comes back and establishes once and for all, and all of creation is shaken, and, 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 and those things that are shakable stay, and those things that are shaken are shaken away, those things will be shaken away, all the things that God has put in place, like governments and men to govern society, different things like that, will be shaken and gone forever. Right now, democracy and what we have is probably the best form of what we're going to get. But compared to the kingdom of God, it's just wrong. It's, it's, it's literally, it's, there's no comparison it's God's kingdom is, is, is amazing, and it's, it's, it's mind-boggling, and it's, it's something that, that you just get taken aback by. And there's nothing compared to it. And even the best that the world has to offer, which is probably democracy, is wrong compared to the kingdom of God. But it is what is in place right now, and I am still thankful for it. But I'm... I'm, I, I put my full faith in God and His kingdom and that He is King and He is God and He is my King. And the reason I live in this country and abide by the laws of this country is because He said so. And He said, obey the laws of the land. And that's the only reason I now obey the laws of the land. If He said not to obey the laws of the land, I wouldn't. But because God has established this place and said obey the laws of the land, that is now my motivation for being a citizen. 
and obeying the law of the land. Don't get it, don't get it mixed. Don't get it mixed. So, um, God has revealed himself to us through Jesus, and now we can see clearly that the, system, the, the systems of the world are wrong, that God is king, and right now I choose to be a part of that kingdom. And being a part of the kingdom right now is following the word of God, which is follow the laws of the land. So, by, But by making this choice through us, God can work through us to spread the kingdom in, in our current situation, just like the, the Israelites that were forced into to captivity and thrown out, and they said, you are now in exile, he said, be fruitful and multiply, basically, still. Yeah. Still marry each other, and, and, and maybe you can have an influence on what is wrong in establishing my kingdom. So that is what we do now. We can have an influence on those around us by establishing more the kingdom of God. Because that's the thing. There's the, all these little pockets of believers that have the kingdom of God. And what, are we, what is it meant to do? It's always meant to grow. It's always meant to spread. This is the gospel. This, this is it, but it is so much more than that as well. It's something that cannot necessarily be pinned down and defined. It's just like God and everything that God is. You can't pin it down. You can't necessarily... Words can only do so much. Paul is writing to these believers in Ephesus, reminding them of the revelation he has of the gospel. He also wrote these letters to many other believers in other areas, always reminding them of the gospel, always spreading this revelation and understanding that something has changed in you. That when you come in contact with God, it changes you. And you are now gone from death to life. The kingdom of sin to the kingdom of God. The kingdom of this world to the kingdom of God. And you are now reoriented and changed forever. Period. When you come in contact with God, you are changed. You are not like you were. You are a brand new creature. This is something we need to be reminded of. We, uh, we have other books in the Bible written, to other, or written by other apostles telling people about the gospel, reminding them about the gospel. And the Bible is filled with men and women reminding each other constantly of Jesus and the new kingdom they now live in. The world will cause you to have small eyes, and that's something we don't need. The world wants to focus your attention and what God wants you to wants to do is basically blow up whatever like completely obliterate and destroy any type of preconceived idea and notion of what you think it's about. He wants to break down all the walls. Not not he he wants the church to spread in here and all the constructs that you have made and through these walls he wants to break everything down. He wants to surprise you with his grace. He wants to surprise you with his, with his mercy. He wants to surprise you with his goodness. That, that they are pursued by you, God. Those people are pursued by you. And you want them in our family? 
and you want them to come and be able to be to flourish and to start working back in the way that they were created to be you want them yeah he does he wants everybody and he wants to surprise religious people who think it's all about being a certain way and he wants to surprise religious people in the status quo he wants to completely shock them and shake them and get all of that religion out of there. All of that dead, ugly, nasty religion, because that's what it is. So people, people do this in the Bible constantly. They did this by, by, by their testimony, by, by talking with one another. We do this today by talking with each other about the gospel and what Jesus has done. They did this in the Bible by, by what later in Ephesians says, they did this by praying um, in all prayer and supplication, singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, always reminding each other in different ways, artistically, in, just in, in talking in different ways of what Jesus has done and what he is doing in the kingdom of God, reminding each other constantly of the kingdom. God has revealed himself through Jesus Christ and established a new kingdom. A family, uh, a, a, a new kingdom and a family, and, and all who enter the family are now temples and carry the Holy Spirit. In the Old Testament, there was a temple that, I mean, Moses built the tabernacle, which was just basically a fancy tent. And um, I, I, it's not just a fancy tent. I don't want to sound like I'm being whatever. And then Solomon built an actual temple. So there was this tent in this other place where, where um, basically a select few people, they were priests, high priests, were able to enter into the Holy of Holies. And they were able to make sacrifice to connect people with God. The temple was a place where people were able to come and encounter God in a very specific way. And it, it, wasn't, it wasn't necessarily... Um, it, was, it was good for, what they, for that time, basically. <laughs> then Jesus came, and he, spoke, and, he, and he spoke about himself being basically the new temple. He told the Pharisees, if you destroy this temple, it'll raise up in three days. He was speaking of his body. He spoke to his disciples in John at the beginning of John and say, you, does this amaze you? Do, do the miracles that I'm doing, do, me basically having, uh, knowing who you were, because he, he spotted one of the disciples and said, I knew you when you were under that tree. And the disciple was like, what? This is the Messiah. And he says, if this amazes you, the, the, uh, you will see um, angels ascending and descending on the Son of Man, meaning he was the place where people came to meet God. Just like people would go to the temple to meet God, Jesus was now the new established temple where people could come and meet God. And in, uh, in Hebrews now tells us that he is also our high priest. We know from the entirety of the gospel that he is also the lamb slain before the foundation of the world, that he is the sin sacrifice for people. Because this is what they would have to do, is bring a sacrifice to the priest to take into the Holy of Holies and, and do the whole 
process of sacrifice and, and, and they would be considered clean so then they could have and experience the presence of God. And what Jesus has done is, is, is he is the place in which we meet God and we are able to meet God because he is the high priest who comes into God's presence who has made a sacrifice which is himself to make a way for all of creation to once again meet God and be able to experience the presence of God and for the kingdom to spread. We need to be reminded of this. We need to talk about this often. We need to remind each other of Jesus and what He has done and the visible image that He displays to us. Because now we are all temples we are walking treasures in earthen vessels that walk around as temples of the Holy Spirit where people can come and be introduced to God. Amen. We are temples of the yes. Holy Spirit. He has come to reside in His believers, in His church. Where come, people can come and meet God. We can introduce them to Jesus, the visible image of God. They can begin to see Behind the veil of the world, they can begin to have and experience a revelation of who Jesus is and what he has done. That the systems that are in place have an influence and that, that influence is not God. It's greed, selfishness, and, and uh, injustice. It is broken. It's, it's, it, there's a principality of the power of the air. It is the devil. And um, in, the, in, those system, in, in those systems, no one has the capacity to be right all the time, let alone basically some of the time. And what does the world say? Well, if one person can't be right, we'll get a committee. And we'll get a committee that comes together and they will, they, they'll be able to figure out what's wrong. We'll get a bunch of scientists and a bunch of other people to come together and tell us the, the intricacies of life and everything. But the thing is, no one, like I said, has the same point of view, that I only have my point of view. So being that, no one is able to see eye to eye on anything, on everything 100%. There's different opinions, whether they're varying opinions or completely opposite opinions. No one is able to come together and, and see eye to eye on everything 100%. But do you know who God is? The one that's three and one and one and three? The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit in perfect unity? That He is three and one and one and three, and He from the beginning, had the capacity to be in perfect unity and see eye to eye with God. God had capacity to see eye to eye with God. And this, this stretches your brain, you know what I mean? This makes it kind of hurt. It's because it's, it's God, <laughs> you know what I mean? It can't, it can't really fit right here, but God is three in one and one in three. He is the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. And they have been equal, in equal unity do, together yeah. forever, for all of eternity, from everlasting to everlasting. And they, it is, he, God is infinite. God is always right. 
God is always love. God is always, period. And God has come and shown us who God is in Jesus Christ. God is three in one, Father, Son, and Spirit. God is in perfect unity and peace with God. We, we, we are to be His temple, this place where people can come and meet God. We are this to each other, that I need you just as much as you need me. That I need to come to you and see what your point of view is. I need, we need to have conversations about God and about Jesus and, and what Jesus Christ has done in us. We need, to, um, uh, we, we need to hear each other talk about what the gospel is to them so that together we can all grow and be healthy. We need to be reminded of what God did through Jesus and what God is doing as the Holy Spirit in each other's, li- in each other's lives today. The church needs to be exactly that, a gathering of people coming together under one unifying truth. And that unifying truth is one and three and three and one. It's, it, that unifying truth is the definition of what unity is. It's the, it, it, it is the perfect definition of peace and unity and communication. It is the perfect definition of what a dialogue is because they are in perfect dialogue, in perfect community, in perfect relationship with one another. And this is what God is cultivating personally through through individuals to cultivate, individually cultivating something communally. And it's something miraculous and it's something that can't be basically wrapped around and and tied up in a cute little bow. It's something that is vast and humongous. That's what we need to be, a gathering of people coming together under under this, this unity, this unifying truth. Praying and singing to God and about God. Everyone listening to one another, hearing the word of God, speaking through each other. A healthy growing church, a growing gathering that is healthy and self-edifying. God, help us do this. We need it. We need God. We need to be reminded of this because of this tension that the gospel creates. That, that Paul wrote this, and he spent, he spent years with these people, and nine years later, they're still dealing with the same stuff. And Paul needs to remind them of this. We need God's help. This is the tension that it creates, that this is what what God has established. And the tension is sometimes we don't see what God has established, and we need to be reminded that it is true, that it is His kingdom, that it is unshakable. We need God to work through us to remind us that we are a part of the kingdom. And that's... That's, that's, the fa- that's what we are a part of. First and foremost, we are a part of the kingdom of God. That we shouldn't be living just, as, just a mere existence like others. Like, like, we, we shouldn't be living just a mere existence. We should be living in, in, in the everlasting life that God has given us. But we are, we are to be living in an 
ever-expanding kingdom that is growing and is swallowing up death and judging evil. We are living in a kingdom that is taking over this world and, 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 and taking over its systems. We are a part of this kingdom. God is doing this, and God is succeeding. You can run over and be in any other group and find whatever answer you want to find. You can go and hang out with the doom and gloom conspiracy theorists. You can be a part of the religious right or the religious left. But you need to be, and you will find answers in those places. They're not the right answers, but you will find answers and they will seem right to you because you'll like them. And that's basically what it's about, is people looking for answers and basically just finding the answers they want to find because they like them. We don't want to do that. There's, no, there's nothing good about that. I don't want to find the answers I like. I want to I be in relationship with the only answer. God is the only answer. In a world, the world is right. There is, there, there, like they, they've defined absolute truths to, to different things like this. And there, the, the truth is, there's only one absolute truth. And that's God, period. Don't add anything to it. Don't take anything away. He is infinite. He is everything. And it's God, period. You can find the answers you want out there. And they're wrong. I guarantee it. Be in relationship with the answer. Be in relationship with the infinite one, God. And you will always just be in, be, be. You will be more. You will be who you're created to be. When you're in relationship with that, when you decide all answers, they're wrong. There is no truth. What did Jesus say to Pilate? What is truth? The truth is God. That's it, period. So all the, all the doctors that come on TV, all the prescription pills that come on the TV talking about how you're depressed or have anxiety or this or that or how you need to do that, those, you, can, you can find your answers in those drugs and in those prescriptions. You can find your answers in having the latest piece of technology. And you might like those answers. You might like the way it makes you feel. It doesn't make them right. The only answer is God. We need to talk about God together. We need to remind each other of the gospel. God revealed himself. Through Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the visible image of the invisible God, who came to show us how far off we were, but how infinite His love is. Now we are sealed with the Holy Spirit, and we are in the family. Now as we move into this month of December, we remember, we always make this a special time to, to do this, to create an atmosphere for people to have conversations and new people to come into the family. We will come together and sing songs of God incarnate. We won't be having breakfast, but we will be having the reception after the service with Christmas cookies and finger foods to create an environment for us to talk, to do this, just to talk about God with each other. 
talk about the gospel, remind each other of Jesus and what he has done in our lives. We want this to be the heart of this church, basically. A place where people can come and know that they're going to meet God. They're going to meet God corporately, and they're going to meet God in each other, in their fellow brothers and sisters. And they're going to meet God in all of who He is. And we want that not to just to be um, in the month of December, but we want to cultivate that and have it continue. One of the, th- one of the ways that, that we're going to keep this happening is we're going to basically start another podcast where it's not just sermons. And a podcast is something that you can get on and listen to. It's basically kind of like the new radio. People have like talk radio shows and stuff like that. So we're going to start a new podcast, and it'll simply be called Church Conversations. It will be published every other week, and we will have two different formats every other podcast. The first format that we will be doing is basically a QA. and a where we answer questions. Whose questions? Anybody's questions. We will have a box for submissions to have questions, and we also have an email address that if anybody has that email address, they are able to submit a question to that email address about basically the church theology, life, and stuff like that. So the the, the email is simply churchconversations at gmail.com. It'll be on our Facebook for anybody to see that anybody can submit a question and then we, uh, me and someone else will be able to look over the questions and have time to formulate an answer and not just answer questions, but talk about the questions, hard questions that people wrestle with, that, that, that people think about, different things like that. It's not just for our church. The second format is basically just going to be conversations, interviews. With who? With you guys. Starting out, we're going to sit down and we're just going to record a conversation, and we're going to publish it for anybody who wants to listen to. And, and after, after we do that, maybe we'll, we'll get people from other churches to get involved and have these conversations too. Maybe once it starts to have some, um, basically, momentum, maybe we could even get some special guests on there. And we can just have conversations with different ministers that, that travel or do, do different things. And this will be something that the whole church is involved with because we'll be answering your questions and talking to you. So hopefully that cultivates a, 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 a community where you get excited because maybe we're going to answer one of your questions. Or maybe we're talking to you and, and you'll want to listen to yourself on a podcast. It'll just be a way for us to grow as a community and continue to do things like this that we want to do. Grow and be a healthy family with, with, with supporting basically the whole body, supporting other bodies, growing with other congregations and, and growing as the body. This is what we want God to do in our family and through our family. We want God to be the one that does things. And you know, I mean, I mean, if God is doing it, if we say, you know what? We're taking our hands off of this thing that is 
our church. We're taking our hands off of it, and God, do what you want to do. It can't fail. The only time it can fail is when we decide what it's going to look like. But God's going to decide what it's going to look like, and God's going to dictate the future of this church.